Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, this is Nancy. I'm here live on the Health and Wellness Channel on voiceamerica.com. Today, it's just you, the listener, and me, folks. I want to um, share with you what I believe are the things you need to know. In fact, I wrote a guide I called uh, the top 10 things you need to know in order to care for an aging loved one. It's available as a free download on my website, aginglifenetwork.com. I encourage you to go and download it. If you're um, on the Voice America site, I believe you'll see a banner above the description of the show um, and you can download from there. But I'm going to talk with you about it today because I think it's important as you, as we enter the holiday season and whether you're sharing it with um, your family or, um, uh, or uh, with your parents or loved ones or not, um, it is a time of greater communication and looking inward as a, a family. And so often things start coming up that uh, may need attention in uh, your caregiving life. And so Let's talk about, I want to talk first about how I define care, because often when we talk about care and caregiving, we think about the person who is actually in the home providing um, hands-on care. And when I talk about care and caregiving, you know, I'm talking about all of the things that are done for those we care about. So everything from um, helping to pay bills, um, attending medical appointments, buying groceries and delivering them to the person, making a meal and running it over to their house, um, living at a distance and overseeing uh, home care that's in the home, reading the care notes, talking with the physician on the phone, etc. Whether you live close by, um, in the same home, or in a different state, the things that you're doing for um, the person you care about is, by my definition, providing care or caregiving. Um, also, um, you know, if if you're part of a team, uh, a support team, a care team, you're part of the person's um, life, and you are one of the caregiving. So I broadly define that, um, whether you're in the decision-making role or not. In fact, we'll talk a little bit today about the fact that um, someone may be in the decision-making role, but they may actually um, have a lesser role uh, in terms of care. So the thing about entering the world of care and health systems and surrogate decision-making and finance and rehabilitation and evaluating needs, coordinating resources. It's a big job and it is, as I've often said, a language. 
It has its own language, and there's a lot to learn. And what typically happens is there's an event, and people attempt to learn all of those things in a very short period of time. And so one of my, you know, my mission has been to offer education to families um, at a time when they need it and they need good information, uh, succinct and, and what's most important very quickly, but also to have the information available so that those of you who are more proactive can spend some time learning the things that are important to know. And that's what I want to talk about today. You know, we still have 10,000 people a day turning 65. That's been happening for eight or nine years, maybe a little longer. And it's going to continue to happen for the next eight or nine years. And so we've got this tsunami of aging boomers. um, And in fact, many of those boomers not only need care themselves or are beginning to need some help, but often they have parents who are in their 80s and 90s. Um, you know, we, we have more than half a million people on the planet, more than 100,000 in the U.S. who are over age 100, over 95, the fastest growing uh, population in the U.S. And so, um, you know, these are important topics and, and very unique to the older adult. So, um, but this can create a huge demand on families. And again, when I define families, I'm thinking adult children, sibling groups, spouses, and even friends. Um, We've got a significant amount of the boomer population in particular who are aging as single people. And so they often are depending on Um, each other for assistance. And so we're seeing more and more friends and siblings taking care of siblings, et cetera. So let's get started. The first thing I talk about in my guide, I like to call it who's on first. In fact, I have a little, little picture. I like to say who's driving the bus. And the reason this is critical is because Um, If your parent or your loved one is your friend, your sibling, is still able to direct their own care and and make their own decisions, it will impact how you manage yourself as a support network, but also um, how you handle the assistance that you provide versus someone who really needs full help and is not able to um, do it on their own. So if your loved one is um, on first still or wants to be on first still, so let's talk about if they want to be on first, but they need help, if they're willing to accept the help, that's great. If they are resistant to the help and they lack the insight that they need the help, you've got a whole different problem. But let's say they, they need the help, they're willing to accept it, but they're really not ready to give up control. And so in that case, you're going to work on a more collaborative, in a more collaborative way. So for instance, um, 
very often we find older adults want to continue to manage their own finances. It's kind of like driving a car. It really represents um, independence to many people and gives them a sense of control. And so initially, although it would certainly be simpler to just change their address, have the bills come to you, you set up a new account, et cetera, et cetera, you pay the bills. The fact is, um, you know, if, if you want to provide the person you love with the dignity of um, maintaining a sense of control, and I think I've talked about it in other shows previously to this, you might set up a little a bowl, a basket, a place where a drawer where bills and mail are put and you visit on a periodic basis and you review um, that mail, those bills, you write the checks, your loved one signs the checks, etc. And you do that until they become either in need of more help, unable to do even that, or they become more comfortable with you taking over and they trust that you're going to um, respect their um, need to be involved and collaborate. Remember that the biggest fear that many older adults, as they're beginning to lose functional ability or even cognitive ability, the biggest fear is that someone's going to come in and take over. And and I, when I say take over, I mean like a bulldozer take over. Start telling them where to live, how to live, what to do, uh, what they can spend money on or not. And so because of that, um, older adults are often um, fearful and resistant to sharing with uh, loved ones the problems they're having because so often people and families do go in and, and sort of bulldoze their way through when um, their loved one perhaps only needs some help. And, um, and so it's important to move slowly, uh, move collaboratively, uh, unless you've got a more serious problem where, you know, your loved one is um, being exploited, um, you know, being um, subject to scammers and they lack the insight, and, and then you begin to discover that there are other kinds of problems going on. But um, this can be true of um, caregiving, uh, directing care, um, convincing, persuading um, mom to allow caregivers to come in, but, but explaining to her that if you don't like someone, they can, you know, we will let them go. We will try somebody else. Explain that initially it can take uh, a few people before you find someone that you're comfortable with. And so, um, yeah. And so what I have found is that even if, if they need help and they don't welcome it, they, again, they might allow for some of this collaborative these approaches to occur for a time. And uh, once they're comfortable, you're going to listen to them when they have a concern, then they may begin to turn things over a little bit more. The other important thing about who's on first is that if you have a group of people that are um, assisting, um, let's say a small group of siblings or a large group of siblings, 
it's critical that you, um, like any other um, concept of team, you've got to have someone leading the team. And so that may not necessarily be um, someone who's been given legal authority, just simply because that person may not have the time. And so as a group, you need to define who's, um, who's leading the team. And then that person or someone among you, um, you, you have to evaluate what it is that's needed. And you can do that yourselves. You can hire professionals to come in and evaluate and consult and, and point out to you the things that are needed. But at any rate, um, you need to, from that, develop a task list. And then from that list, you begin to divide up what the, um, the tasks are. So you may have someone living three states away who has the ability to, um, to review uh, and reconcile the bank statements. So maybe they get the duplicate statement they keep an eye on finances. Eventually, perhaps they um, take over the finances if they have that legal authority. Um, then they begin to pay the bills. Um, someone close by who can attend medical appointments, another person who deals with Medicare issues or researches the VA benefits and, and uh, brings that to the group. But you have to look at who is doing what where are the gaps, what's already being done by whom. And the other critical part, if you're working as a team, is how are you going to resolve disagreements? And how do you take care of what's needed without creating confusion, overlap, et cetera? And so um, very often families, uh, particularly sibling groups, get upset or angry with one another because... You know, one is doing much more than others. You know, um, I'll talk about that briefly but later. But, you know, the fact is everybody is living different lives. And sometimes one has more time than another. Um, sometimes one feels more compelled to do, to provide the care in one way and, and others disagree um, and so it can become very tricky territory. Another important thing you need to know is how to make decisions. And although on the surface that would seem to be a simple thing, um, you know, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made that are what I call age-related decisions. Uh, you've got medical decisions, financial decisions, um, you've got where does the person live? How is the care provided? How are you going to spend uh, money? Um, you know, what are the end of life choices that need to be made? What kind of care? Um, you know, um, are you at some point you make a decision? Are you going to continue to have mom go to the hospital, the emergency room? Are you going to bring in hospice? There's a lot of decisions that need to be made. Um, and so decision-making can be a source of great anxiety for the individual and for the group. 
understanding the values, the preferences, and the wishes of your loved one becomes critically important in the decision-making arena. And so the sooner you can glean from your loved one um, what it is that they want now or in the future, when they're able to express those desires um, and you can document that with them, the better you will be long-term. I can guarantee you that. Um, We often um, put preferences such as advanced healthcare directives in writing, um, you know, where we state whether we wanna be on a ventilator long-term, Um, whether we want to be intubated, uh, people do often a DNR, do not resuscitate if they don't want resuscitation. What we don't talk about is um, how do I want to spend my money on care? Um, Do I want to spend every last dime and stay home until the very last moment? Or do I want to go to a facility and try to Um, have some of those funds available to beneficiaries. Um, At the end of life, um, do I want to be on hospice? Um, You know, all the what-ifs, right? Um, Do I want people in the home? Am I comfortable with people in the home? Uh, uh, So you need to learn preferences. Now, having said that, you need to know that people do change their mind. And so they may have expressed something to you five years ago, and now they're in the situation and everything feels different to them. I would say even if the person lacks capacity, um, you know, even if there's a dementia that's fairly progressed, if they're expressing something different now, you you need to listen to that. And we'll talk about what you do when those two things are in conflict um, in a moment. But um, there's a lot of different concepts in the world of decision-making. A lot of medical folks are leaning toward what they call, you'll hear the term supported decision-making. And, um, you know, that's where you attend medical appointments, you take notes, you help your loved one remember things. You know, when you get home, you take extra time to discuss choices, you create pros and con lists, but you help them make decisions rather than, so at any rate, I'm sorry, I have to take my first break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about um, some of the decision-making concepts, which are pretty important, and I'm realizing I need to move a little more quickly or we will not get through all that I want to talk about today. So I'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help? making a difficult decision for an aging loved one. Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals 
available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls. We'll work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. And um, seriously, I do want to hear from you. And so if you have comments, disagreements, questions, um, uh, topics that you would like to hear more about, I would love to hear from you at um, nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. I check my emails all the time and um, would welcome your feedback. And so we were talking about um, decision-making, and um, I'm going to move a little faster, and what I will say is this. Um, A, you can download the guide. It has a lot of the information I'm sharing with you in the guide. The other is on my website, aginglifenetwork.com, under ALN Academy, I believe, I Some of these um, chapters, you know, there's 10 chapters, if you will. I have done live webinars. Um, I'm working on developing a webinar series for all 10 where, you know, I expand on what the guide is offering. So if you're interested, um, go to the website, find uh, a webinar, and you can hear a little bit more. So back to decision-making. So I was talking about supported decision-making where – you know, your loved one may have some memory problems. They may um, just find it more difficult to um, cognitively process some complex decisions. And so you take the time to help them make those decisions, but they ultimately are continuing to make their own decisions. Um, If you find yourself in a position where you need to make the decision for your loved one. Um, Keep a couple other concepts in mind. One is the dignity of risk. And I'll talk about that briefly when I talk about safety versus autonomy, which is a constant challenge. Um, You know, we all want to keep our loved ones safe, but we also need to understand that they... um, you know, they have lives and and they need help, but they also are humans who like to do certain things. And if they have capacity, they can do, they can actually do whatever they want and make some really bad choices. But, um, but if you're in the position of having to make decisions for them, 
you really need to um, to attempt to not be so cautious that they don't get to live their lives. In fact, um, I have a definition of, um, I think it's the dignity of risk. Yes, it is. And it's an important one to hear. The dignity of risk is the idea that self-determination and the right to take reasonable risks are essential for dignity and self-esteem and so should not be impeded by excessively cautious caregivers concerned about their duty of care. And that comes from Wikipedia. Um, So important that your duty of care is not so um, that you don't become excessively cautious. Let's leave it at that. Um, In the medical world, of course, there's the world of informed consent, which means that Um, All risks and benefits need to be described, Um, you know, decisions are made voluntarily, et cetera. And then last, um, uh, the most important pieces that I want you to hear is if you're making decisions for a loved one and they're they're not necessarily involved in the decision, Um, I historically like to use a concept called substituted judgment. And that is where um, you are um, stepping into the shoes of the person. And rather than just simply looking at what's in their best interest, you're making decisions on based on what they would have done or would have decided if they were still able to make the decision themselves. And again, that's where the preferences, their values, um, and their wishes come in. And so um, it could be that others know what those preferences and values are and you don't. Um, It may be you need to go to other people to have conversations about what would they have wanted. Um, And this is in particular you know, those who live uh, far and have lived out of town for many years, but there are family members who have lived close to their parents, may have had conversations that the out-of-town person who was put in documents, um, you know, um, has been put in as a medical decision maker, but they may not necessarily know. So, Your actions and decisions should reflect your loved one's expressed preferences. Um, You should involve them in the decision whenever possible. Um, And there are times when their wishes today might conflict with what they've said in the past, particularly the things they put in writing in the past. And that can become, that can become a real problem. But, um, uh, but again, If someone has said, I want X, Y, Z, and they've put it in writing 20 years ago, people have the right to change their mind. And so if today they're saying, I don't want that any longer, and perhaps there's a diagnosis of dementia, but they're still able to express how they feel, you then look at what's called the best interest concept. And that is that... um, you, uh, as a substituted decision maker, you do what they would want unless to do so would cause them harm. So let's say today 
mom says, um, regardless of what she said in the past, she says, I want to stay home regardless of the fact that I need 24-7 care and I cannot afford it. You then have to look at the risk of harm to mom if she remains at home without 24-7 care, if she can't afford it. Now, we have technological um, advances that might help, you know, life alerts and medication boxes and, you know, things um, technologically that might help keep her safe in the home without the 24-7 care. You have to explore all of that because really decisions should be made based on what she wants unless doing what she wants would cause her harm and uh, substantial harm, in fact. And so nobody ever defines what that is, so you get to do that. Not easy, but that's what best interest is. Families often go in, people often go in and immediately believe that a decision should be made uh, based on what they believe is in someone's best interest. Well, sometimes what I believe is in someone's best interest is not what they believe is in their own best interest. And so that is the challenge in the decision-making world. Um, The next piece that I think is important is absolutely you have to understand the health picture. So you need to get a list of medications. You need to find out what all the diagnoses are. You need to find out what they want medically, what is in the advanced directive. Um, you, I advise that you put together what I call an emergency packet. I think there's something on my website that will help you put that together. But basically, it's putting something on the refrigerator, which is where the EMTs always look for information. And if somebody comes in the home or is taking mom to an emergency room um, setting, all of the information about her health is and her contacts and her... Um, advanced directives, et cetera, are all available in one packet. Big white envelope, big words on it, you know, identifying it whatever way um, the EMTs will see it. And so um, also a copy of the medical power of attorney um, can be really important. And so the other thing is um, getting your loved one, you know, have them sign a release, have them do the release um, early when they're competent and capable. Um, if you are not the medical power of attorney, you are going to need some form of release. And you may be the person who's actually taking mom to the doctor, interfacing with the doctor. And so you will need to get a release um, in some form or fashion Um, If you want to talk to a physician because you have a concern and uh, let's say you don't have a release, your mother's refusing to do a release, maybe she doesn't even have a power of attorney, um, which which can be a serious problem down the road, Um, you can, you know, that they can't talk to you, but you can talk to them. And so what I often suggest is that you put together a note or a letter call the doctor's office, find out who the nurse is, because the nurse is going to be the one that's going to put that in front of the physician. And so, um, you know, doctors still rely on faxing, and so you'll fax a note 
and you'll direct it to the nurse and ask them to put it in front of the physician. And that's how you communicate with physicians, really. Um, so, um, again, you need to understand your loved one's healthcare needs and medical diagnoses. You need to do that when you're putting your plan together, which is where we're ultimately going in this guide. And then, oh, so you need to, you know, you can't make decisions. You can't put together a support team. You can't know what kind of resources um, you can bring into a person's life until you understand what's affordable for them. And so it becomes critical that you understand their finances. And this can be probably the most delicate, even more important, I mean, more delicate than um, than healthcare. Um, families have a lot of issues around money. Sometimes parents don't like to talk about money, but um, it needs to be uh, it needs to be discussed, or your loved one needs to have the information somewhere, so that if they become incapacitated and people need to step in, that they will know where all the bank, you know, where all the funds are. A lot of seniors, um, you know, the the older folks, put money in lots of different banks. Um, they have safe deposit boxes. Um, they, you know, they have, um, you know, IRAs in different places, rollovers, uh, lots of things. And it can be quite the, quite the mystery tour if um, information is not provided. And so, you want to be able to have a conversation about money. Um, I did an interview with a woman from a group called The Conversation Project, and they have a great website that talks about how to how to have conversations about these subjects. And so what I have found um, is that um, often I will, you know, if, if there's not an immediate need, I will ask people to at least tell me what banks they are at, where is the safe deposit box, um, you know, general information, who's your broker, so that you have some sense, and then they don't need to tell you specifics. But the fact of the matter is, um, the more you know, the more planning you can do. And so, um, one of the things that often happens is someone comes in, a family member comes in, swoops in, puts a change of address um, in the home. So now your loved one has lost the pleasure of going to the mailbox and, you know, getting their their magazines. And they often um, close the checking account and take all the funds to put in a, in a surrogate account, a power of attorney account. And now your loved one doesn't have access to cash or um, at least initially and is frustrated at the total loss of control. And so, again, um, in the guide, I offer you some tips on ways of doing things so that they have a continued sense of control. And um, one of the things that I have always used with clients um, since they came around, we used to use debit cards, and 
Now we're using um, a Truling card, T-R-U-E-L-I-N-K, two words. And um, it's really the greatest discovery since sliced bread for people that are assisting others with their finances because that Truling card acts as both a debit card and a credit card and um, can be managed online with a dashboard. Funds can be transferred periodically. Um, you can control um, um, the, the ability to take cash in a grocery store. It can be used by caregivers that are doing grocery shopping. And so, um, at any rate, um, make sure that mom still has access to funds to manage her life. Or, you know, I've had older clients, you know, a 101-year-old fellow who he always had to have $100 in his pocket. That's the way he lived his life. And so if he needed that, you know, whatever he could manage uh, safely and, and could afford, um, you know, provide that to the person. Let them carry that. Again, it's the dignity of risk. Take a little bit of risk in order to give the person the sense that, um, you know, they're still here. Be careful about beneficiary designations. Um, transfer on death designations, uh, pay on death, PODs and TODs. TODs are on the uh, asset investment side. PODs are on the asset uh, banking side. Um, you know, be aware of those when you're cashing things out and, um, um, and make sure that, um, you know, your parent, your loved one's estate plan is not disrupted unless you have, you know, unless you need the, the funds. Um, so check the titling on all the assets. Uh, very often, you know, dad may have died five, 10 years ago or more, and um, his name is still on the assets. They've not been retitled. You will need um, death certificates. You'll need to retitle assets. You may even have to probate an estate. It depends on the situation. Um, finances also involve benefits, um, which can be complicated, uh, but pretty critical. And um, if your loved one was a veteran, is a veteran, uh, they may never have explored benefits that they uh, that are available to them. You want to be looking at all the benefits and how they can assist with care. Um, you want to look at look for and ask about a long-term care policy. Um, you certainly want to identify that if you're putting together um, a care team for your loved one. Uh, so. You'll familiarize yourself with uh, Medicare, Medicaid. You need to learn the difference. You need to learn that um, how they, uh, you know, what they'll cover and what they don't. Um, I can't tell you how often families think that post-hospital, that the care that a loved one needs at home is going to be covered by Medicare. It generally is not. Um, you will get some home health. You may get a bath aid and, uh, you know, a few hours a week um, type care. But, and it's short, generally short term. Um, you want to learn the definition of homebound. 
because that will provide you with some um, some benefit in the home and it doesn't mean your loved one can't leave the house. It just means it's very difficult. But those are definitions you can find on Medicare.gov. Anyway, um, I probably should have canceled any breaks today because I could just um, blab on for a long time, but we need to take another break. And when we come back, I'll finish up the financial section by talking a little bit more about the cost of care. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, we were talking about um, finances, money, and I was going to talk about the cost of care. Again, Medicare and Medicaid pay for health-related care and services, but very often the care required by your loved one will not fall under the categories defined by Medicare and Medicaid as health-related. So you need to learn the distinction. You need to understand that assisted living is not covered by Medicare, that non-medical home care, people who come in to assist with cooking, housekeeping, personal care, transportation, companionship, even medication management um, is not covered by home care. The last one, med management, might be covered um, by Medicare um, if your loved one falls under uh, the homebound status. So um, you want to understand the services that they need um, and you need to determine what's affordable because all of these have costs. Home care is anywhere from 25 to 35 an hour unless you hire a private caregiver. And so you need to look at the pros and cons of an agency versus private care. 
um, the, um, you know, having uh, someone come in and do medication management um, unless you're able to do it. Um, cooking, housekeeping, all of that is going to cost out of pocket. Assisted living, um, you know, every, things vary across the country. You can spend anywhere, a uh, small group home in the mid-4,000s to 6,500 in assisted living, um, independent living uh, where, you know, you, you simply um, live in senior housing with maybe one meal a day um, can be less costly. Um, but, you know, you're talking anywhere between four and 8,000 a month. And so these are, um, it's critical to learn what is available in your loved one's community. Um, if you have a loved one living in a small rural area, it can get tricky finding home care or a facility that keeps them in their community that, you know, if that's what they prefer. Um, uh, we have technological supplements that can assist. Um, I've mentioned the Life Alert. Those can cost 45 to 65 a month, depending on whether they're motion censored. Um, you've got medication machines that you can lease or purchase. Um, we've got a lot more coming out. There's, um, you know, of course, motion cameras and lots of different things coming onto the market. And I'm hoping to have a show at some point about all of the latest technology. Uh, TrueLink is, again, another, I think it's $10 a month to have a TrueLink card and maybe more, but it's about that. And uh, so, you know, uh, again, if you have an evaluation done by uh, an aging life care professional, you um, technology should be part of what they can look at for you and provide you with pricing for that. So um, I could say a lot more about money, but um, I'll leave it there. I've got a lot more to cover in just a few minutes. So, um, you know, um, the care team, siblings, um, it's important, as I had said earlier, about um, if if you're able to spread the work, um, it can be really beneficial, uh, but it's also can add some stress. So you need to make your own choices. But if there is um, a support group, you need to define who's leading the support group. And what I didn't mention earlier um and I should have, but, you know, you need to find out who um, has been written into the legal documents. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be doing anything now or leading the group now, but um, it is critical to know that when it's time to call on someone that you know who that person is. Um, you know, you can mention a, a method of communication. I have a friend who um, is chronically... Um, Ill right now, and she has um, gone on to a software system called CaringBridge.com, where communication can occur among all the groups. Um, there's a variety of those um, platforms popping up, 
And so you can find ways to do group communication. Some of the home care companies offer family portals. Um, Lately, I've been seeing uh, AARP is offering a caregiver portal. And so there are ways that groups can communicate. But you want to develop, you want to evaluate what the needs are, evaluate what the tasks are, develop a list of those tasks, and then talk about who's best suited to do what and who has the time to do which. So, um, and then you should talk about if there's a disagreement, how do you handle that? So um, there is such a thing as a family meeting. I think families have them all the time where you talk about all those things I just mentioned, but you can also set up a way to have a family meeting and, um, and discuss disagreements. If, um, you know, if it's a disagreement about care, I often say if you can bring in a life care professional who can evaluate the situation and put together a report, it's a, you know, it's a neutral third party that's, that's um, telling the group what they believe professionally needs to happen. And that can often help um, mitigate the conflict. Um, if serious conflict ensues, you know, there's a new team of professional called elder mediators um, who are trained specifically to work with families around age-related conflict. Um, if you can't locate an elder mediator, most elder law attorneys are trained in doing this kind of mediation. And so, um, but, you know, seek someone out before you start going. If you, if you start thinking about taking legal action, um, all I can say is that it, it really can tear the family apart. And so um, I caution you to do that unless um, you absolutely, absolutely have to. Um, the thing to remember is that the focus should be on the care and, and all of your concern is about the loved one. You all want the same thing, right? You all want them to live their best life, best quality of life, all of that. And so, and keep in mind, and I truly believe this, that even the best, most functional family groups um, experience some fracturing, um, some crack, in uh, the, the family system under when, when they're living with the stress of caring for a parent. There is so much that comes up emotionally uh, when you see your parent um, declining in a dementia, um, suffering post-stroke, um, all of the things that happen that um, it's so important that you as a group be as kind and gentle as you can be. And I know personally how difficult that is. But um, um, if you all have the goal of caring and loving and creating the best life for that individual, um Hopefully, it will make it easier. Um, Last couple of items, safety versus autonomy. We've mentioned it. Uh, Remember, competent people get to make bad choices. And um, you're always going to be challenged with the um, dual 
problem of um, trying to find the most normalizing alternatives um, and creating safety. So you have to assess every option through the lens of the least restrictive alternative. Um, Mood and cognition. Um, let me just say that if there, I talk about in the guide acute changes in cognition, what I'm talking about is suddenly a parent, a loved one, you see them that day, you talk to them, and suddenly they are more confused than you've ever seen them. Um, and um, sometimes, you know, it, it could be a stroke, but more often, it's a urinary tract infection, it's dehydration, it's, it's a medical cause, it's pneumonia, it's thyroid, uh, it could be a side effect of a new medication. And so medical um, assessing and ruling out medical causes is the first place to go. People who are hands-on caregivers are acutely aware that um, urinary tract infections can often cause um, the onset of confusion. Um, you know, loved ones can have mood changes. They can be experiencing situational depression. Uh, it can be a long-term depression. Uh, it can be the uh, initial signs of dementia. You know, you call your loved one on the phone. They seem fine. You suddenly see them in person. You spend an extended period of time, and things um, are different when you actually see them. Um, know your resources. Um, go online, uh, go to your state, go to your local Department of Senior Affairs, Department of Aging, your state bar, look for elder law attorneys, um, um, look for case managers, look for case managers with veteran services or in your physician's practice or in the hospice programs. Um, again, Life Care Managers Aging, lifecare.org is a national association of um, life care managers if you need someone locally. Um, and of course, I, I um, create a plan. So take all of this and come up with a plan. And last, put your oxygen mask on first. Take care of yourself. Learn what respite is. Um, bring in a little home care, um, you know, take a few hours, do meditation, relieve the stress, take care of yourself. So that was the quickest um, top 10 talk I've ever given, but um, I, I hope that you will, um, you will, take those topic areas and begin to learn some things um, so that you can be prepared or if you're already in the midst of doing this, that somehow this is helpful. I do want to say, if you're listening before Thanksgiving um, or even after, I hope you have a wonderful day, a relaxing, enjoyable time, even though some of us are with our loved ones on Zoom uh, my sibling group is, uh, we're Zooming um, together to talk about Thanksgiving uh, memories in honor of our parents who are no longer with us. And um, yeah, I wish you all well. And um, next week, we'll start a whole new series of, um, 
of shows and uh, take care. Gotta go. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.